move forward. A little bit closer. This is an interesting story the book of Joshua brings up here in chapter 2. Uh, about old Rahab. Poor old Rahab gets a... Well, her reputation stays with her for quite a while. If you've got your Bibles, just quickly turn with me. We'll come here in a minute again to Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter, uh, the hall of faith. Um, our friend Rahab get a mentions there in verse 31 of chapter 11. It says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This poor woman, her reputation stays with her through countless years, despite the fact that she actually, um, I don't think she stayed a prostitute. She, her life turned around. We're going to look at, at exactly that, how her life turned around and how she became one of God's people. And how, in fact, she is one of the ancestors of Jesus. Um, uh, Through the line of Boaz and David, through to Jesus. Before we start, though, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that no matter who we are and how we come, no matter what our past, we can come to you and you will accept us. Thank you, Lord, that that when you look at us, you don't see our past. But when you look at us, what stands out is whether we put our trust in you or not. Thank you, Lord, that, that even the chief of sinners, as Paul called himself, can come to you and be rescued. Forever having been the chief of sinners, but forever from that point onwards being your child and your greatly loved son or daughter. Father, I pray that you would help us now to understand something of who you are from this. Lord, may that, may that impact on us. May we see you more clearly and may that change how we live. May we learn from Rahab what it is to trust. May we learn from you what it is to be a child of the trustworthy God. Speak to us, I pray now, by your Spirit. Lord, do not let us go away without having heard something from you today. Amen. Um, I want to look at the story of Rahab this morning in terms of a, 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 a drama or a, or a play or a movie or something. There's, there's about five scenes um, but it's a slightly intricate movie because it doesn't finish with the climax at the end. It's kind of five scenes zooming in to the center where you have the story of Rahab trusting God and then it zooms out again uh, back to the Israelite camp where they are preparing to go in and take the land that God has promised them. This is where we left them last week. Joshua being told by God, Joshua, I'm with you. No one's going to stop you because I'm with you. I'm strong, Joshua. Go ahead, do it. And at the end of the chapter 1, Joshua says to the, the officials in the town, he says, right, get the people ready. In three days, we're off. We're going to cross over. Get ready. Prepare. Now, it seems that uh, around about this time, Joshua has sent out some spies. And this is the story of, of what 
they are doing. This is a story that happens during that time where Joshua is getting the people ready to go in and take the land. And, and it's an interesting story because the book of Joshua is one of those incredibly nationalistic books. It's all about God's people taking control of the land that God has given them. It's about the casting out of those who are basically squatting in the land that God has said, well, this belongs to my people. It's all about Israel. And yet, here in chapter 2, right at the start, we have the story of a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman, a prostitute no less, and her role is a starring role in this book. The least likely of people, one would think, for the book of Joshua. And yet it's, I love it, because, because God's promise has always been way back from, well, way back, but to Abraham especially, he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And we see a, a hint of this. So let's start with scene one. There are five scenes. Remember, it zooms in to scene three, which is like the, the point of the movie. This is scene one in the Israelite camp. This is verse one of Joshua chapter two. Israel is getting ready to cross over the Jordan. Uh, Joshua sends the spies over to look over the land. Uh, he's not sending spies to see whether they should cross or not. They are crossing. That's a given. Joshua just wants some up-to-date information. He, he wants to know, okay, where are we going to go? Where's a good place to, to put up camp probably? Where's, where's uh, trees? Where are water? Where's this? Where's that? All of, all of, you know, just that stuff that you need to know. Especially you've got a large population, you've got, to, you've got to prepare for it. And he says to them, make special attention when you go to Jericho, because I want to see what the situation in Jericho is all about. And that part's a bit useless, because as we know, God's going to do something totally unexpected with Jericho. But even so, um, who knows what information the spies actually got. When the walls fell down, uh, maybe the spies could say, right, yes, the, the city is laid out in this way. If you go down that street, that's towards the palace. There's where the guards are. This is where, this is where we go once the walls have gone. Good information to have, you'd think. And yes, um, God has said to Joshua already, Joshua, victory is assured. I am with you. It's going to happen. But Joshua still had to lead the Israelites. Um, this isn't about him not trusting that God was going to give him victory. This is just about, well, this is part of trusting God. This is saying, I so trust God that I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to get started on it. I'm going to prepare for what God is going to do. And just as a little uh, bit of application for us right here at the start in this the outer scenes are really short, but, but if we think about ourselves, God's kingdom is going to come. Um, we know that we are more than conquerors over sin and death through Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean we just sit back and relax. That means now we, we get ready, we, we, uh, we plan ahead so that we are ready to, to fight the enemy, to fight temptation, that we're ready to share Jesus with those who don't know about him. We don't we don't sit back and say, well, God's going to do it all. God says, yes, I'm going to do it all. Now get off your backsides and do it. That's what Joshua is doing here. He sends out the spies. The people are getting ready. Move on. Scene two. He says to these spies, right, go out. He says to them, go out secretly. Now that's a really weird word. It's used weirdly in this place. It usually means something totally different. Probably what it means in context here, he says, go out and skillfully look over the land. 
Arriving in Jericho, they go to the house of Rahab the prostitute. Um, there are some commentaries, if you read them, that they go, oh, 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 look at these men going to the house of... It's a really good place to go. They weren't there for her services. They were there because it's a great place to stay, where strangers are not unexpected. It makes sense for a spy to stay in a place like that. And so skillful are these spies, these two best men, I'm sure, that he chose from the whole of Israel, the best men are so skillful that no sooner have they arrived than the king's men are knocking on the door (laughs) because they've been spotted and they've been reported. It seems as though the conquest of this land begins with failure. It seems like the mission is lost before it started. And then the strangest thing happens. This woman in whose house they've taken refuge hides them. And she spins a tale to the agents of the king. And she gives them this impossible choice. I mean, they could come in and they could search the house and they would find the men in a blink. But she says to them, no, they were here, but they left just a few minutes ago. If you rush, you can, you can get after them. The gates are closed, but quickly open the gates, go after them and... And the king's men are like, ah, what do we do? We've got to go. And so they leave her house and they just rush out towards the, the, the more shallow parts of the river, quite a distance away. It's in flood at this season of the year, the river. We're going to see in a few weeks' time how it's flooded. Maybe even next week, I think, how it's flooded. And so the men rush out because they want to catch the men before they get to the safety of the Israelite camp. This is a huge thing for Rahab to do. She was, in essence, committing an act of treason against her people and against her king. I mean, she was already a woman living on the edges of society. There was no way if she was caught hiding these men that she would escape. And the spies are hiding there on the roof under the the flax, thinking, okay, what's what's happening now? Is she going to sell us out? Are we going to be caught They see, okay, there the men go out of the gate. But then what? The writer of this book tells us that as the the king's men left the city, the gates clanged shut again behind them. Is this just a temporary reprieve? The men are still very much stuck. Their mission still seems failed. They find themselves utterly at the mercy of Rahab who at any point can turn them over who at any point can bargain for her life by giving these prisoners if she she thinks she can they might not be prisoners of the king but they are just as trapped and the scene shifts we zoom in now to the central scene of the story And it seems at this stage that Jericho and Rahab in particular have the upper hand in the story. And I've got to ask myself, why did Rahab choose to hide these spies? Did they hold a gun to her head or did they take her her, uh, children captive and put a spear into their side and say, right, tell the king's name we're not here. No. I mean, if, if you were making a movie today, you'd probably do it like that, wouldn't you? 
he'd have the spies and they'd have their spear and they'd be holding it against one of the family members and Rahab would be all flustered and wanting to, I've got to save them, I've got to save them. There's nothing like that. By the way, uh, copyright Nicholas uh, on that movie idea. We'll call it something else because it's not the Bible story. It's like, uh, it's like the, ex- uh, not the Exodus movie, the, the Noah movie. Fantastic movie but nothing to do with the Bible. It's got something to do with the Bible. It's named after it. Why did Rahab choose to hide the spies? Not because they seemed dangerous. They seemed anything but dangerous. They seemed clumsy and comical. Inspector Clouseau kind of men, almost. But their God, he was a different story. The stories of what God had done for Israel over the years were famous in the land. They were common knowledge. Forty years ago, everyone knew that God had led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea, how he destroyed the Egyptians. Rahab says to these men, I've heard these stories. We all know these stories. And we heard what what you guys have done. Your God enabled you. You guys destroyed the king of Sihon and the king of Og, which is just a brilliant caveman name, isn't it? This guy, they've destroyed, but these are powerful Amorite kings. And they've, they've wiped them out, and they're just on the other side of the river from where we are. And we've heard the stories of the past, and we've seen the present. And, and oh no, we're terrified, says Rahab. We're not terrified of you. I don't know why we're terrified of you, but your God, look at what he's done. All the evidence, says Rahab in chapter 2 verse 11, shows that Israel's God is utterly mighty. That he is completely in charge. He's, she says to them, we've realized that we're facing a God who's not just sort of a God up there who does his own thing and sort of condescends to us every now and again like our gods. No, we're facing a God who is God in heaven and on earth. Who's in charge not just up there with the airy fairies, but is in charge down here as well. And we know that we're going to have to face him. We've heard the news that this God says that this land is yours. What did they say when they crossed the Red Sea? Exodus chapter 15. Bit of a song going on here, sung by Moses and and repeated a little bit uh, afterwards by the woman as well. Uh, Chapter 15 of Exodus verse 16. We'll, We'll read a bit from verse 15. The leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm, God, makes them lifeless as stone until your peoples pass by. Until your people, the people you purchased, pass by. That was as soon as they had crossed over the Red Sea. Moses sang and the woman sang after him, God, these people are going to be frightened of us. Not because of us, but because of you. And Rahab says to these poor bungling spies, whose mission seems to have come to a dead end, she says to them, your God's incredible. Your God is incredible. Maybe she looked at them and said, well, you guys defeated Sion and Og, and I captured you. Your God must be incredible. Maybe I'm, being, maybe I'm being a bit nasty to these spies. It's possible that they just had a, 
a bit of bad luck. God turns that to good, doesn't he? Everyone knew who God was and what God's plans were for the land in which they found themselves. This was common knowledge. But what sets Rahab apart from the rest of the people in her city is her reaction to this knowledge. Most of the people were resigned to die. They were afraid of God, but but they didn't want to go anywhere. They were afraid of God, but they refused to submit to him. They refused to, to try and say, look, we will become your slaves, we'll become your servants, just do whatever it takes. Please, you have the right to this. You are God, you are strong, you are almighty. Whatever you say, is, you say goes. And we, we just throw ourselves on your mercy. You see, Rahab doesn't quietly hope, as I suspect some of these people did, that Jericho would survive. And I suspect most of them would have grown in the quiet assumption that Jericho would survive the longer the attack of the Israelites lasted. How many days around the city? After the third day, you'd be laughing at them, wouldn't you? There's a great VeggieTales video uh, where they laugh at them and tell them their mother smells like things like that taken from Monty Python but you'd be doing that wouldn't you you'd be quietly feeling well you know what these guys are a joke they're walking around our city and blowing trumpets yay what about Rahab during that time no through all of this Rahab is sure that God will do what God has said he will do. And she bases the certainty of hers on the historical evidence. She looks back and she says, I see there that God has done incredible things. God is all-powerful. She's so sure of this that she knows that the only way to survive is to surrender. And we've been looking at this over the last few weeks, haven't we, as well? How, how we are to surrender to God. How we are to stop fighting God. She goes and throws herself on God's mercy. The psalm we read at Alan's funeral spoke about being led to the rock that is higher than I, the place of safe refuge. That is God himself. This is what Rahab does. She says, I cannot help myself have mercy. She throws herself on God's mercy via the mercy of these spies. They are in her hands and she looks at them and she says, would you show me kindness? Loving kindness. Hesed is the word there. It's the word used of God's loving kindness towards us. Would you show me unmerited kindness, please? You know what's interesting, though? What's interesting is, uh, is what God had said about these uh, Canaanites living in the land. If you've got your Bibles there, just turn with me quickly to uh, uh, Deuteronomy 
and we're going to have a look at uh, chapter uh, 20, and we're going to have a look at verse uh, 16. Uh, oh, start at 15. These instructions apply only to, not apply only to distant towns, not the towns of the nations the land you will enter. In those towns, the land, the towns in the land that you will enter, uh, that the Lord is giving you as a special possession, destroy every living thing. You must completely destroy the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. This will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. Destroy them all! Otherwise they will lead you astray. And here the spies are stuck in Rahab's house going, let's make a deal. Yes, we'll make a deal. Were they wrong to spare Rahab? Is this a flat out going against what God had told the people of Israel? Destroy them all or else they will destroy you, says God. And the spies say, right, yes, we can be kind to you. We won't destroy you or your family or their families. I don't think it was wrong. I think this is the point of having the story in here. Because although God says destroy them, otherwise they will lead you astray, the fact is that there is always a way for people to be saved. You know, one of those facts that we don't know very much is that when the people of Israel left Egypt, there were Egyptians who went with them. And they became Israelites. They were, uh, I'm, I'm sure, they were adopted into the people of Israel. Joel 2.32, I think, speaks to God's heart. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God said, destroy them, otherwise they will lead you astray. But if they are calling on my name, they're not going to lead you astray. Don't destroy them. Even the chief of sinners can come. Even a woman of ill repute can come. You see, when Rahab put her trust in God, because this is what she's doing. When she puts her trust in God, she becomes a child of Abraham. She was no longer a Canaanite prostitute. She was a member of God's people. It was as if she was getting a new start in life. It was as if she was being born again. She was crossing a line. She was siding with Yahweh, God Almighty, and siding against her people and her people's gods. We read from the book of Hebrews where it commends Rahab for her faith. And her trust is something that is seen in her actions. She risks her life to save those spies. She keeps their secret uh, safe. She risks her life again by trusting that these spies will keep their word, by staying in her house throughout that campaign. She trusted that 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 scarlet cord that she hung from the window would guarantee her safety and that of her family. The, The cord, a sign for all those people to know where her house was. If you think about it, how many times did they march around the city in the end? And every time around they go, wow, there's that house with a red cord hanging from it. Better make sure not to attack that one. Uh, 
Isn't that interesting? Uh, just as an aside, when the walls fell down, it, it's pretty clear that, that they didn't all fall down because otherwise Rahab's house would have collapsed in on them. But it fell down enough for them to come through. If, if you don't know the story of the walls falling down, hang on because it's coming. It's a good one. That scarlet cord, as Anna-Marie hinted at us, reminds us a little bit of two things. It reminds us of the, the Passover, the first Passover where God destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt, but he passed over the houses where there was blood painted on the doorposts and the lintels uh, of the doors uh, as a sign that even though the people in there were just as guilty and just as by rights they should have been punished by God because they were sinners as much as the Egyptians, their guilt was passed over. God was going to forgive them uh, in another way. And the cord uh, reminds us then of the ultimate Passover lamb, lamb Jesus, who, who poured out his blood for us so that all those who trust in him can be forgiven. Their guilt can be passed over. When the, when the day of destruction comes, when the day of judgment comes, all those who trust in Jesus will be passed over. They will be forgiven. They will be made new. They will have a, a fresh start. They will no longer be counted among the Canaanites. They will be counted among God's people. She would escape Rahab, the coming destruction. She would escape because of God's loving kindness. I mean, God could have turned to Joshua and said, the spies have done a terrible thing. Hold them to their words and destroy them and Rahab. But God said, no, Joshua, you're going to rescue Rahab. Well, God, God at least didn't say, Joshua, they've done the wrong thing. God said, let's go with it. She was not saved by her own strength. She was saved because God was kind to her. And God was kind to her because she trusted him. Let's start zooming out again. Uh, scene four. Everything that seems lost suddenly proves one. The spies, their salvation from the king of, of Jericho, that comes from Rahab. They, they climb down. They have this chat with her while they're climbing on the rope probably. They get out. They go to the hills for three days while the king's men are looking for them. Then they escape. They ford the, the Jordan River. They get back to Joshua. And, and what seemed to have been a bungled mission, and let's be honest, they spend most of the time in a cave for goodness sake. Yay for good intelligence. Well, Joshua, the cave's about this big. There's not much room at the front. We didn't look out much in case they saw us. So, so I hope that's helpful, Joshua. No, they say, Joshua, forget the cave. Forget anything. Forget all the stuff you wanted us to find out, Joshua. Good news. They're terrified of us. God is giving us this land. Isn't that incredible? I mean, if you think about it, if the spies had been quickly dealt with by the people of Jericho, what a kick to the stomach of the people of Israel. And yet God so orchestrated this that, that they spent this time with Rahab and they found out from her how the people of Jericho were terrified of God and how the victory was sure. And we'll zoom out once more back to the Israelite camp. They report to Joshua, yes, God has done it. Be encouraged, Israel. You know, this is wonderful. Rather than tactical knowledge, the spies came back with spiritual encouragement. It's not wrong to plan ahead. In fact, we should be doing that. But, but at the end of the day, we need reminding that the battle is not ours. 
We look to God above and he will lead us safely home and guard us by his love. He is going to win this. See, God had said to Joshua, Joshua, you're going to win. It's a done deal. I'm with you. Be strong and courageous. Now, what does God do? He brings back these two spies to bolster that trust in God. And their report is just like, yeah, Joshua, it's true. You know, God said it and it's true. So what does it all mean for you? What does it mean for you? It's a good story, isn't it? It'd make a great movie, wouldn't it? But what does it mean? What's the point? Is it just a nice story? Uh, our enemy is not Canaan. We've, we spoke about this last week. Our, our enemy is the world. We are Jesus' troops on the ground. We are here to, to advance the kingdom, tell people about Jesus. This land, this earth is our inheritance um, this will be ours, but we don't. We, we want to go in and give people a chance to to know Jesus. Sometimes God sends Rahab's into our lives to encourage us, to let us know that He is in control. Uh, the least likely of people suddenly become Christians. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, isn't it incredible? And and I think about it. If you look around the room, oh. I count about 40 unlikely people in here at least. But have a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a great uh, passage over here. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Go right past it over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and it's verse 9 to 11. Paul's speaking to them. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves, those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, who are thieves, who are greedy people, who are drunkards, who are abusive, who cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, you guys, I look at you and you are you're the last people I would expect to become Christians. You look at Jesus' disciples, fishermen for goodness sake. And a tax collector. And a guy who, who goes between, oh, and oh, well, let's resignedly go and die with Jesus. You've got this weird bunch of people. And you've got someone like Paul. Who calls himself the chief of sinners who made it his duty to go and destroy the church. And all of a sudden, he becomes a Christian. And the Christians find out about him and they go like, isn't he the guy who's trying to kill us? And they're like, no, he's not. He's a Christian. What? No. Yes, what? Yeah. And you just see how encouraged they are because this weird thing has happened where the most unlikely of people has suddenly changed allegiances and is suddenly a person of God. Isn't that incredible? But what about also Hebrews chapter 11 where it speaks there in verse 31 about, about Rahab and, and about the people of her city. It, it speaks about how she trusted God while the rest of Jericho refused to obey God. Isn't that interesting? Because that, that's not how the story reads in Joshua, isn't it? It's, it's just about Rahab. But Hebrews comes and looks at that and says, actually, Rahab... What sets her apart is that she obeyed God and the people of Jericho did not obey God. They were terrified, but their response to all that they knew about God was not to throw themselves on his mercy. Their response was to say, 
well, though we die, we're going to die well. We're going to die in our city. Rahab's response was, God, save me. This is your land. You do what you want to do, God. I will, I will just trust in you. She trusted God because of all that he had done in the past. And that's for us too. We trust God because of what he has done in the past for us. Jesus really died. Well, first he really lived. Then he really died. Then he really came back to life. He really will return. A lot of people hearing the story of what God has done in Jesus and the story of what God has done more recently, well, maybe they choose not to be impressed. Maybe they're a little bit frightened and they, and they can't deal with it right now. Um, my friend who's the uh, youth pastor up at uh, Rockingham Baptist Church, he had um, some people healed in a youth service and he was preaching uh, the next Sunday and as he was saying about how God heals people, Two people got up and left the church. Sometimes it's a little bit frightening that God can do these things. And well, we're not ready for that. But God acts. God has acted in the past. He still acts today. The question is, will that frighten us so that we just sort of step away from it? Because, you know, I don't understand that. Or will we go, I trust you, God. I don't get it. I'm frightened a little bit. But I trust you. You see, Rahab's convinced that God will keep his promises. Through all the stories that she heard of God, the history of God, she caught a glimpse of who God is. Strong and fearsome and good. Good to his people. She knew that nobody could ever stand against God and so she wasn't going to try. You know, it's a little bit out of vogue to tell stories about how Jesus is going to come back in judgment and there will come a day when, when all those who trust in him will be saved and all those who don't will be undone and there will be punishment and fire and brimstone and all of those things. It's not nice, is it? But it's how it is. It's how it is. That's what Rahab's situation was. She knew what was happening. I wonder, I don't know exactly why God decided to, and why Joshua decided to delay for three days. Maybe it was to give Rahab a chance to repent. What I do know is that the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's given me a chance to repent. And he's given you a chance to repent and he's given the people next door to you a chance to repent. They're never going to turn if they don't know what the stakes are. God will return as the rightful king and judge and ruler over this earth. The evidence from the past, the evidence even from the book of Joshua is that when God asserts his rights, God gets what he wants because God's God. Deal with it. The truth is, the only safe place to be, the only safe side to be on, is on God's side. And the good news is that God accepts all comers. He accepts all converts. The people who are wiped out is the people who rebel against God, who worship other gods, who do not accept him as king. The people who are saved are those who go, you are God, and I trust you. 
You see, when we trust him, we're no longer members of a people doomed for destruction. We become adopted into his chosen people. We become his. And yes, we, we remain forever the people who were once. Rahab remains forever, Rahab the prostitute. But Paul remains forever, Paul the chief of sinners. But we get a new start. And the punishment that we did deserve, Jesus took on himself. Isn't it great news that, that this woman who had a checkered history and yet who trusted God was saved by someone who came from her own family tree? Isn't that amazing? Jesus did the impossible and took her punishment. And in taking her punishment, she became one of the children of God. One of the children of Israel. And I love the way it says in Joshua chapter 6. They took her out. They isolated her for a while. She became one of them. And she lived among them until that day. Isn't that incredible? It's not that justice wasn't done. It was done at a great price. It's just that it wasn't done to her. And it wasn't done to us. See, that's, that's the story of Rahab. We've zoomed in from the, the Israelite camp. And the Israelite camp is just sort of like the fluffy bits at the beginning and the end. But the big picture is on Rahab, who trusted God. And what does it mean for us? Well, those two things. Either we can be encouraged when, when the unexpected become followers of Jesus... Or the question for us is, well, are we going to trust him? In fact, that's, that's the encouragement from both sides, isn't it? Are we going to trust him because of what he's done? Are we going to trust him because he keeps showing us how trustworthy he is? Brothers and sisters, God is good. I don't know what your tagline is on your life. Eric the ex-legalist. Nicholas the sinner. Filthy rags. Val the filthy rag. You put your name, you think what you were. But for goodness sake, forget that now because that's who you were. Jesus' blood is hanging over your house. You are saved. When he returns and the walls of this earth crumble, you will stand because you trust in him who cannot be shaken. Amen.